and welcome to the Adventist Healthcare Renew podcast. Today we have Dr. Judith Gurdian. How are you, Dr. Gurdian? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you. you. Nimit is with us too. Hi, Hi Nimit. Hi, everyone. How's it going, Nimit? Good. It's going great. Good. So we have a good topic here today. It is all about women's health and uh, Mother's Day is coming up. Uh, Women's Health Week is coming up. So we really wanted to focus all on our women. And it's a subject that I'm very passionate about. And we have a great expert today, Dr. Gurdian. So let me go into a little bit about your background. Dr. Gurdian obtained her undergraduate and medical degrees from Georgetown University. And after completing her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Georgetown, she spent four years serving as a staff obstetrician in the U.S. Air Force. So thank you for your service. I also was in the Air Force. so I've, and you as well. Feel, Thank you for your service. Yes, both of you. Yeah, it's been a long time for me. But also during this time, she functioned as the medical student and resident coordinator, was in charge of high risk of obstetrics and was on faculty at the USUHS in Bethesda, Maryland. So after completing her military service, she opened up her practice in Rockville, Maryland. She's been listed on the top doctors list for Washingtonian Magazine. And she now serves in a number of positions at Shady Grove Medical Center. So she's a past president of the medical staff, a past chief of the OBGYN department, And now she's the director of education for the OB department and the Howard University Hospital residents. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Guardian. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So let's get right into it. Why should we think about women's health differently? Well, because women are different. Um, You know, we look at women and we go, yeah, you really look different. But when we think about women from the basic level, we're different on a cellular level. We're different on a genetic level. We're different on our hormonal level. Our bodies are physiologically built differently. Yeah, we, we suffer many of the same diseases that men do but they have uh, different ways in which they display themselves, different ways sometimes in which they treat and different ways in which people respond to treatment. Okay, we had um, Dr. Daisy Lazarus on a past podcast talk about women's heart health. And I loved what she said is, Oftentimes in the past, when they do research and they look at different health conditions and treatments, they just think of women as small men. <laughs> and as you've explained, that's not the case. Well, and some of us are bigger than small men. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, thank you. So what are some of the key health and preventive screenings women in particular need to be aware of? So when we screen women, there are things that are standard that we look at with everybody. So anybody who comes in, the first thing that we think about are the general screening issues that we look at, even with men, exercise, diet, sleep, um, especially in the last two years, depression screening, because depression has become such a, a significant part of what we're seeing in our society, um, whether they have stayed up to date with their vaccinations that they've had. And then if we hone it down more towards OBGYN and our specific relationships with our patients, are they in need of pap smear screening? Do they need mammograms? Do they need bone densities done? Um, blood work that they may need at a particular point of time. So some of it's very age-specific. Um, STD screening, for instance, is more prevalent in young women and ironically older women. Oh, that's interesting. Because we see a big uptick in sexually transmitted diseases in elderly women whose spouses have died who are often in senior citizens situations. So so there are very specific things that we see at different ages. So when mm-hmm. we, we walk into a room, we have to be ready to jump in one direction or another, depending on who's behind the door. Okay. Very interesting um, that, you know, you have to pay attention both to younger women and older women for, um, you know, some of these age-specific diseases too. And, and many people sometimes think STDs is limited to 
to younger population, but knowing that it's also, you know, exposed to the older population as well as is very valuable information for our community. Well, and so often one of the first questions that we'll say to somebody is what's new in your life, which is the obvious open-ended question, but usually gets me information on parents, children, and love life. Yeah. And then that will often choose the direction for the next series of questions. Yeah. yeah. And you spoke about uh, a little bit of the relationship between OBGYN for women. Why is it important to have that relationship between their primary care providers and their OBGYN providers? So for many of our patients, I, I, I have a lot of patients that I've taken care of for over 30 years. Um, I've delivered their children. I've delivered their grandchildren. I've seen them through marriages, divorces, and death. And so oftentimes there's a great deal of continuity in that relationship. And then we often stay on top of, have you done this? Have you done that? You know, have you had your, your flu shot? Have you had your COVID shots? Have you had any blood work done recently? But if I do blood work on somebody and they have a chronic medical problem like high blood pressure, diabetes, I want their primary care handling that. That's not my skill set. Mm-hmm. So my skill set is making sure that we're on target for all the things that I want somebody to think about in their general health care. But the chronic diseases that I manage are, are diseases that are specific to women's gynecologic or obstetrical health. Yeah. You know, I have a primary care doctor that I have a good relationship with. I have a good relationship with my OBGYN as well. And it's so essential because I get asked the same question, what's going on? And, you know, I might answer the same, but you guys address you address different things, but I feel like then my whole health is taken care of that. Right. You know, I've got two people looking out for me. And oftentimes we're looking at the same thing, but from two different perspectives. Right. And, um, you know, the more people that are on the bandwagon taking care of people, the better off yeah. they are. And sometimes one of us will think of something that the other hasn't, or there will be an interlude, or we see somebody whose primary care may have left and they're without. So we're just all trying to, to keep everybody moving forward from a health perspective. Yeah. And it's, so it's really important for the primary care and the OBGYN to work together. Absolutely. And also I, I want to emphasize too, an OBGYN is more than a place to get your pap smear <laughs> and your well woman exam. Ironically, that has become an increasingly small part of what we do. I mean, the guidelines on paps have changed so dramatically over the last 30 years. I remember when I was in school, we were doing them twice a year, especially on women on birth control pills. Mm-hmm. And then the guidelines went to once a year and then once every three years with co-testing for HPV and then every five years. And even as we're teaching my residents now, one of the things we talk about is when a woman comes in, is there an indication to even do a pelvic exam? Uh, There are some questions about, do you need to do a breast exam every time you see somebody? So there's a lot of changes in how we look at what's indicated on these visits. Yeah. I remember I hadn't been in a while and I said, well, I thought the guidelines said I don't have to come every three years. And they were like, oh no, (laughs) no, we don't have to do that particular exam. But the rest of it (laughs) still But the rest of it, exactly, is still important. So let's talk a little bit about some of these normal things that we should be screening. So for breast cancer screenings, what's the, when should we start? So one of the things that's interesting is when you look at a lot of these screening parameters, you will hear different things from different sources. So the government has a different perspective than ACOG, which is our governing body versus the American Cancer Society. But in terms of general, we like to have women start their pap smear or their cervical cancer screening at 21. Okay. And we want to see three normals before we start spreading those out. And that's done with HPV testing beginning 30. So we don't HPV test until people hit 30 because the the expectation is that younger women will be exposed and clear at multiple times in that 10-year period. But after 30, it's a little bit more important to look for it. 
And so your well woman exam is once a year. That is true. And then, and then mammograms generally start around 40, Mm -hmm. um, in some populations a little bit earlier, and then they're continued at least till 75, some of the societies say, or until you think somebody is within 10 years of expiring, (laughs) which I've not been able to figure that one out. So, (laughs) So I usually tell people, We'll keep doing them as long as you would do anything with the results. Gotcha. So there's 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 breast, there's cervical cancer, colorectal cancer. The guidelines on that have recently changed from starting at 50 to starting at 45. Earlier, if somebody has a family history, um, bone density, uh, the recommendations are at 65 if somebody's low risk. Again, if they're high risk, you start earlier. So, yeah. so everything's a little bit tailored to the specific person that you're taking care of. Gotcha. So it's not all, it's not a cookie cutter, but it's, there's some general guidelines there absolutely. to help our, help our listeners. I think that's what's so important for, um, for them to, you know, go to the visits regularly because, you know, guidelines keep changing. And as we learn more and more about the best practices, um, you know, the, the providers are able to share that with them and ensure that they could follow the correct yeah. guidelines. Right. And, and guidelines not only change, but people's histories change. Absolutely. So you go in one mm-hmm. year and you say, yeah, I have no family history of colon cancer. And the next year you come in and you go, my brother was just diagnosed with colon cancer at 40. And that sets us off in an entirely different direction for what we need to do, not only for genetic testing, but for general screening and referrals. That's right. So well, let's talk a little bit about genetic testing, because that is kind of a new emerging topic in healthcare. So what should we look at for genetic testing? Is there a general practice or so, so that talk is, to us about that? That's one of those things that is fascinating because it's constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. So we've gone, for instance, with our obstetrical patients for doing um, testing like alpha-fetoprotein, which we always told people gave us a risk rate to being able to do cell-free DNA, which specifically screens for certain genetic abnormalities. Um, and gives you a gender. And now we're doing universal screening, which screens for over a hundred different sorts of genetic diseases that people can have. And then recently FDA came out and said that perhaps we should relook at whether we're doing that again. So, so that has also changed. When we look at women with breast cancer risk, we worry about people that come from an Ashkenazi Jewish background, especially if they have family histories of, of breast cancer or ovarian cancer, colon cancer, which is often forgotten when you think of women, but that's associated with a form of BRCA. And then there's now testing where they're looking for people with family histories of pancreatic cancer. So this is constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. And, And again, what we tell somebody one year maybe totally different two years ago. We used to see the, we still see in fact, these variants of unknown significance on genetic tests. And then a couple of years later we go, okay, they've decided that one doesn't matter or, oh, this is now something that we're worried about. So the evolution on this is incredibly fast. Which again, just stresses the importance of having a relationship with both your primary care as a woman and your OBGYN so that, you know, yearly you can find out what's going on and see if you need anything new. And I think the thing that's really important is feeling that you've got a collaborative relationship with a doctor that's taking care of you, that you you don't go in and they do this test and that test or this exam and then shoo you out the door, but that it starts with a dialogue because that dialogue is oftentimes the most important part of the visit. My own primary care doctor, Dr. Jane, has said this, and you know I've had this conversation with actually a, a, another another physician as well, is if you're looking for a new physician, you don't have to take the first one. You can find the one that's right for you, right? Well, I was going to say it's like dating. Yeah. <laughs> you don't um, marry the first person you go out with most right, of the time. Well, yeah. speed dating in because, a way. <laughs> but if you meet somebody and you, and you walk out and you just go, 
it just didn't work. It doesn't mean they're a bad doctor no. or you're a bad patient. It just means that the chemistry is not really there. Yeah. And communication is so tremendously important in how we function with one another, mm-hmm. especially in our healthcare. Agre- yes, yes, because it needs to be collaborative and you need to be able to ask questions and, and feel like you were heard as well. So. And I think that that's, that's also a change in how I look at what's happened in healthcare over the last few decades mm. is it used to be very much a physician directed, you would come in and you would be told this, that, and the other thing, and then you'd get prescriptions and be patted on the head and sent out the door. And and it really is very much a conversation now. Yeah. What you said earlier resonated with me. You've had patients for 30 years. You've delivered you know, babies, you, and, grandbabies, babies yeah. and grandbabies. And yeah. I've met doctors that have similar backgrounds and histories like that too. So, so when we talk about women's health, you know, we talk about um, new parents, pregnant mothers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are some of the things that you have experienced over the past 30 years and how has things changed over the past couple of years with the pandemic? Oh. You know, what are some of the things people are asking now? What are some of the things that people should be watching out for now as being new parents or newly pregnant mothers? Well, I think COVID overrides everything. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, over the last two years, we all have had to learn more than we've probably learned the last 10 years in medicine in terms of dealing with COVID. Um, what COVID means to people in different parts of their life. You know, when this first started happening, we had no idea of what the impact was going to be on pregnancy. And we've learned a great deal about that. We've learned a great deal about how safe the vaccine is. I mean, when it first came out, I remember the first month we were telling patients that we didn't know. And then very quickly it became, this is the most important thing you can do right now is get your vaccine. Yeah. And, and then we see women that are catching COVID when they're pregnant, even if they are vaccinated, new moms that are getting COVID and how they deal with that. Um, the other thing that as a side effect of COVID has, has really grown enormously is the issue with depression. Mm. You know, yeah. we've always worried about moms in postpartum depression, but in the last two years, we've seen more isolation in people. And we've seen people afraid to come in and get their health care, which is not to their benefit. And and so mental health screening has become so much more a, a regular part of what we do with our pregnant moms. Those are probably the biggest things that have happened in the last two years. I mean, we've addressed genetic screening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The standards for how we do OB care have not changed dramatically in the last 10 years. But the care that we provide women as people has evolved. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the mental health aspect of it is so important. Given the past couple of years, we did a podcast uh, a couple of sessions ago regarding mental health and, and speaking towards that because that social isolation has definitely had a big impact. And I know the research has shown that pregnant mothers do suffer some, some sort of depression having the baby or after the baby. And with COVID and the social isolation, it has gone, you know, worse over the past couple of years. Well, particularly, you see, you know, I think women have always looked to their moms as a backup source of help when they've had a new baby. You know, I'll call mom and she'll come and stay with me. And then it became, don't call your mom if she's older because you don't want to put her at risk. And the kids aren't vaccinated and you're worried about mom giving the kids COVID. So it really has fractured that yeah. dynamic in a, in, a, in a terrible way that has been detrimental to all three generations. And again, just stresses the importance of talking with your doctor if you're having feelings that just don't seem normal or just out of character for you. And Well, and sometimes it's walking through through what your fears are about yes. the process. You know, why are you afraid of having your mom come or what are the guidelines that you're drawing in terms of isolation because of COVID mm. and are they realistic? Okay. Yeah. As the physician, you can help 
work through that right, and help find ways to alleviate the stress or the anxiety. And even just sometimes give them lines for how to talk to mom. Yeah, there you go. That's true. That's great. Um, I think that was all the questions we had. Are there any last thoughts you have that you want to share with our listeners? You know, we've touched on quite a bit about the importance of the relationship. COVID vaccines are safe, talking with your doctor, anything else? No, I, th- I think that we have seen a real fall off in people coming in for their general health because they've been afraid to go to doctor's offices um, or afraid to go out. And what I would reassure people is your doctor's office is actually a very safe place to go. We are heavily vaccinated. We are masked. We use good cleaning techniques. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be there very long. And, um, you know, there are other things that are much more dangerous than going to your doctor's office that we can protect you from. Yeah. We've been stressing that in this podcast and in other ways, you know, check in with your doctor. You can come back, telehealth is available, get your screenings, you know, don't ignore your health anymore. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for coming on Dr. Gurdian. This was wonderful information and I'd love to have you back again, thank you. Um, you know, to, to talk about maybe just pregnancy all by itself. That that's a topic all on its own. It is indeed. Yeah. So or you could do men. I mean, there's a lot of things. There, menopause. Yes. Menopause is a great one. Being older. Yes. So let, if you're willing, we want to have you back. I would love to. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Nimit, for all your great questions. Absolutely. Um, Good to and, see you again. Yeah. yeah. To our listeners, if you want to learn more about Adventist Healthcare, go to AdventistHealthcare.com. If you'd like to find Dr. Gurdian, you can click on Find a Doc at AdventistHealthcare.com or look up her practice, Capital Women's Care, in her name. You'll be able to find her. She's located right in Rockville, Maryland. So thank you, everybody. To our listeners, don't forget to hit subscribe or follow uh, wherever you get your podcast so you get alerts for our new episodes. Thank you for listening and be well. 